Yes, sir. The intro music has me fired up. And welcome to the Man, Man on Second podcast on Real Voices of the Game Productions. I'm Joe Frisara with our co-host and producer, Dave D'Agostino. As always, our mission here at the channel is to raise the baseball IQs of our audience. We plan to do so today with our very special guest, Nova Southeastern University Youth School baseball coach, Dan Rovetto. Uh, but before we bring in Dan, uh, let's have Dave jump in with some announcements. Dave, welcome. How you doing, buddy? Doing great. Just I'll uh, keep it the preamble short today so we can get right to our guests, but just want to thank our 53,000 subscribers, grassroots MLB front offices, 74 countries representing themselves on our network. Just want to thank you guys for your support. Make sure after this show, you give Joe and Dan five stars, write some great comments. That helps us on all of our streaming devices because we do battle the analytics of the podcast world, just like we do in major league baseball. Um, also want to thank you guys for pushing us to iHeartRadio. It's a great partnership that we've developed. Couldn't have done it without you. So now you can stream us on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher, or whichever one you choose, but also iHeartRadio. So if you are streaming on one of those other devices, make sure you give iHeart a little listen to as well so they know that they made the right choice by bringing this network onto their station. So thanks again and look forward to this interview, Joe. Yeah, yeah. Thanks a lot, Dave. And and as everyone knows, uh, we we are a pretty nimble podcast here. We We try to cover everything, grassroots up to the big leagues, and the... The high school level is very important to us, and I think we get very good response when we bring in high school coaches, especially coaches like Dan Rivetto, who also have experience being a scout previously with the Seattle Mariners. Uh, but Dan is very established at the high school level here in South Florida at, uh, at U-School, Nova Southeastern U-School, over 15 years of coaching experience and, um, and just uh, a really good guy working with kids. And, and, you know, really a good voice that needs to be heard by our sport. Dan, welcome, my friend. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, good morning, guys. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Uh, you know, Dan, uh, this is a topic that's kind of uh, batted around a lot at our channel here. The, the aspect of the multi-sport athlete. And um, we know like you school, private school, you guys got a very good baseball team. I believe you have 13 players, high school baseball players, are now playing high school football. So talk about, you know, that relationship of the developing of a more rounded athlete and uh, just kind of your thoughts on that. Your son included playing high school football. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, going going back in time, I mean, I think it's a geographical thing, obviously, where we're at um, down in South Florida, Fort Lauderdale area. But, you know, outside of the rain, you know, you could play baseball down here 365 days a year. And uh, unfortunately, in my opinion, you know, we're seeing more and more, you know, families make that decision, uh, you know, in all sports, but specifically baseball, where the kids are, are, are focused just on baseball. Um, I, I am not a fan of that. I've been very upfront and, you know, honest with people when we have conversations. Um, I believe in multi-sports um, from developing different skill sets, um, athleticisms, um, and, and, you know, Something that's also lost in the mix is diversity and how our athletes are are dealing with teammates and stuff like that. I mean, every sport brings different, you know, diversity and different athletes. But when you're talking from the baseball perspective, I mean, I, I just quite frankly, I don't think it's healthy to play baseball 12 months a year on the arm. Um, and what we're doing here is 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 a little bit different of an approach um, where we're, we're really encouraging our kids to play, you know, football in this aspect. And, uh, 
you know, there is 13 guys that are all different, you know, skill sets and positions. And um, in, from my perspective, it's helping them not just develop, um, you know, from a physical standpoint, athleticism wise, but there's a different toughness in coaching a football kid than there is a baseball kid, being honest with you. And when these kids come off the field, let's say in a couple weeks, uh, a few weeks, Thanksgiving time, th they're excited to play baseball again. Um, it's not this monotonous thing to where they're going 12 months a year. Uh, that's something I think that's missing in the game. Uh, and, and I'm a real proponent. I'm excited uh, to see these kids play in different sports. Oh, that great, great answer. Uh, Dan, speak to, because I, you know, I know how it is down here in South Florida. And, and like you say, we, we could play all year round and we got so many, yourself includes so many really good, you know, coaches at this level, but high school fall ball matters. So, you know, talk to the, to the audience a little bit about, there are a lot of schools that really take it seriously and uh, just how big that is. And obviously, like you say, you'll get your kids around Thanksgiving time you're still going to have a, a fall, you know, window, but just, you know, how different that is. Cause I don't know too many schools that completely don't have fall ball, you know, yeah. at this level at least, or this time I should say. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a different approach, Joe. It really is. And I, I'm not saying, I'm saying that down here, you know, if I don't, if I, if I don't have enough time from Thanksgiving to the middle of January, early February to get these kids ready to play in the spring, that's on me and that's on my staff. I mean, there, there's enough time to let kids do both and give them opportunities. What I, what I think has happened is, is that people think that if they're not playing, they feel like they're behind. And when I say playing, I don't mean that kids can't, you know, work on their individual craft in the cage, taking ground balls, routes in the outfield. It, none of that has to do with actually playing a game, though. Um, and I think that what's happened is, is that, the parents and, and everyone involved in, in baseball at the amateur level in South Florida in particular, um, they think that playing is the key to getting better. I think the training is the key to getting better, uh, getting stronger. I mean, you know, Joe, as you know, there's a lot of guys that make their off-season home down here, big leaguers that, you know, Absolutely. I'm around and I throw BP2 and spend time with. These guys are decompressing when they get home in the off-season. They're taking a couple months off to rest their body, you know, enjoy time with their family. They're still working out, but they, they're not playing in games. There's no need for them to play in games. No, yeah, I, I totally agree. You know, I always looked at, you know, just my observation when my boy was playing high school ball and, and even younger, uh, that I almost would have made fall almost like a training time. Like I wouldn't even, yes, I would have done some scrimmages, but I would have made it very controlled. You know, uh, you get this pitcher throws one inning or you maybe in a six inning game, let's say, or seven inning, everyone throws one inning or no more than 30 pitches just to do what kind of like what you're saying of uh, just kind of I the spring is in the summer when you're in tournaments is when the real competitive juices go. I would have liked to seen a little bit more of development. Hey, maybe uh, you might get hit around a little bit, but maybe you use the fall throwing your your off speed better or maybe one particular pitch wanting to work location or whatnot. I always thought it was taken way too seriously fall, fall ball and kids just get to that burnout say you know, point where you were kind of talk, alluding to where it mattered too much. And, and now you're, you're risking more injury. You're doing, 
Yeah, I always would have liked to seen a little bit more like the fall league that baseball at the pro level has than, and granted it's competitive there, but you, I think you get my point where it's a refinement period more than, uh, you know, let's blow out everything and, you know, do things we do well and not really develop more. Yeah, 100% agreed. I mean, I, I think that, you know, parents specifically sometimes can be uneducated in the aspect of like they don't they don't realize what's going on in college baseball in the fall. Um, NCAA, NCAA mandates, you know, only a certain amount of days on the field, obviously. Um, but they're working in small group settings. It's called individuals, uh, you know, where three to four kids at a time for 30 minutes a clip. Um, and they're doing that a few days a week on top of their weights and stuff. The colleges really aren't playing games in the fall. I mean, if you eliminate junior college from this conversation where there is no countable hours like the NCAA has, um, you know, they're, they're, they're really just playing two outside games. Like we can use um, Fort Atlantic down here as an example. John McCormick, uh, awesome coach, mentor to me, um, head coach at Fort Atlantic. They're playing a game against Indian River Junior College and then a game against Lynn University in Boca. Those are the only two games that they're playing in the fall. The rest is all skill development, um, internal development with their pitchers and their program. And, and that's really across the board for all these college programs. So why should it be different at the high school level? Why should people feel they need to play 20, 25 games in the fall when they're really not getting that development skill-wise and strength-wise, in my opinion? Oh, excellent point. Dave, I know you want to jump in. This is right in your alley. Oh, there. well, you're Dan, you're painting, a, you're painting a perfect picture of our whole country right now with baseball. It's, uh, I know you see the, the height of it down there in Florida because it's, it's where some of the best baseballs played at the youth level and the grassroots. Um, we do a little thing up here in Myrtle Beach where we've decided to not, I say suspend the travel programs, but consolidate and, and really get involved with rec and promote our rec, uh, our town, our local communities, get all the players there and do exactly what you're saying. They play a where they play a 10 game short season schedule at one field and it's hour limits. So it's, they're, they're moving kids around. And I want to ask you this question as it pertained to that. My two boys decided they needed 25 extra bats right-handed this year because they both switched bat and they got way too many at bats left-handed this spring and summer. They wanted to get 25, 30 extra at bats. And so that was their functionality. Um, but part of the other, the thing that I liked was my younger son catches, my older son plays short center, third, it gave the kids an opportunity to work at some other positions. So you talked about specialization of sport. How about specialization of position? How, how important is that as these kids are growing up? Because I, I had a kid come to me this, and I'm, I'm 20 plus years as a college coach. First time I ever heard this, a kid, a 14-year-old told me he was a PO. And I, I was trying to look like, okay, what, what disorder is that? I thought it was, I was looking into, you know, got to take medication for this. Um, he said it was pitcher only. And I was like, how the heck are you a pitcher only at 14 years old? So talk to pitcher, talk to specialization of position also. Yeah, you know, you're right. We're seeing that at an early and earlier age. I got a, a great quote was given to me a long time ago by an older coach. And he said, hey, you know, Dan, the kid's best ability is their availability. And I, and I thought to myself, what does he mean? And I asked him and he said, you know, being available to do multiple things will only help the kid. You know, being able to be a utility type guy versatility, athleticism, this, this label of, of the PO, uh, we're hearing it at an earlier and earlier age where, you know, uh, quite frankly, a lot of it has to do with the travel, the travel baseball world and creating more roster spots. What does that mean? That means more money. So if they can label a kid as a PO, 
then they can add more to the roster, produce more more revenue for their their travel program. And th- that's just my opinion. It may be a little bit harsh, but there's no reason to tell kids at the age of 14 years old that, hey, we're going to take the bat out of your hands. You know, like high school baseball to me is about, you know, developing different skill sets. And the more versatile you are, not just from the not being a PO perspective, but labeling yourself as I'm only a shortstop. I'm only a center fielder. Listen, we all want kids that can stay in the middle of the diamond. That's the first thing you learn in scouting is look to the middle of the diamond because we know as time goes on, kids fan out to the corners, right? And if they're starting on the corners, well, the only place to fan out to is the bench. So, you know, you want kids that say, hey, coach, I can play second base. I can play short. I can play center field. Those types of guys are the guys that last longer in the game. They play at a higher, higher level. Uh, You don't see too many drafts, obviously, that are corner guys until they're solidified, you know, later on in their life, Uh, especially at the high school level. I I don't know the numbers, but I I know that by looking at drafts, the, the amount of kids not only that play in the center of the diamond is extremely high, but also there's kids at the high end that play multiple sports, too. Yeah, no, great points uh, regarding that. And I I think that's important for the parents in our audience to hear great messages early on in this podcast. Specialization to me equals extinction eventually. You're you're working your way out of the game. Um, How does that work with, you you talked about pitchers only. We have Jim Cott as one of our podcast hosts on the network. And he always talks about when he was a pitcher in his off days, he loved to get out there and field ground balls, take fly balls. He thought that was great exercise for him, and it made him more athletic. And of course, he was a 16-time Gold Glover, so we must listen. Um, how important is that for those pitcher-only parents out there to get their kids out there feeling in terms of just if, if, if they want to be pitchers? How does that enhance their athleticism to do maybe what they want to do as a pitcher? I think it's huge. I mean, the ability to you know field your position, handle bunt coverages, things like that, You know, that's a really hard thing to practice. And when we start getting into that, that mindset of POs, um, you know, where do those guys normally work out? I mean, they're popping out all over the country. We know that, especially in, in colder weather areas. They're in facilities, right? They're in facilities and they have, you know, things hooked up to their bodies to talk about their biomechanics. But are they ever really working on how they're handling a ball off the mound? Are they ever really working on, you know, uh, turning a double play to second base? I mean, I see it all the time. Once guys get out of that circle, they can't handle the baseball, period. Um, that, that's because of the label of PO. We're taking, it, we're taking it away from kids and saying, hey, you know, this guy can't go stand in right field anymore and, and catch fly balls. That, that's ridiculous to hear that at 14 years old. And, and the kids that are in the facilities this early, you know, we call them facility guys. Just like, you know, on the offensive side, we call them three o'clock hitters, the guys that look great in BP. You know, then you see the pitcher in the game. You're like, he doesn't even know how to hold a runner. Uh, he's never been in, in that setting. So that that's the frustrating part of, of the conversation. Bas- basketball, they call him the driveway player. They can make any move in the book. No mm-hmm. defense on him. But uh, no, I, I love that. Joe, I'll pass it back to you. Yeah, yeah. Great stuff. We're here. Obviously, our guest is uh, Dan Rivetto, coach at U School in South Florida. Dan, talk a little bit about, you know, obviously your your son is one of your star players on your team, Rocco. Rocco also plays football. Talk about your personal balance with, with him in playing multiple sports and just the 
having your son on the team, you know, how you, that relationship, because obviously there are a lot of coaches, Dave included, that coach their kids. And and what you kind of look for where you're not looked at as daddy ball and, you know, favoritism and, and so forth. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I get this question quite often and I pick a lot of brains on this question of, uh, I just was with my friend Jerry Albert, uh, head coach at West Boca High School. He's at Berlin. He coached his son. Just looking for advice on that all the time. Uh, that that's the great part about watching Rocco play football. To me, is um, I'm not a football coach. I just like to watch. I'm a dad, you know. When when that comes, I, I I speak more freely, obviously, about you know Rocco and things like that because I just want to see him enjoy his high school experience, play football both ways. Um, you know, have a great time doing that. Uh, during the baseball season, you know, I, I, I look at it more as I'm a, his coach and our relationship changes a bit in that aspect. And that's been something, you know, he obviously calls me coach on the field. He calls me coach anytime, um, which is, which is a hundred percent the right thing to do. But what I've had to learn is, uh, you know, what Jerry Albert taught me, I say is that, Hey, once, you know, he's driving now, but prior to this, uh, you know, I was I had to pick him up and take him to the field. You know, once I get in the car, I, I, I really try to disconnect from that and just be dad again, um, because it's something that, you know, I've seen throughout the years of kids get beat down. And if I'm beating them down at the dinner table uh, the same way I'm beating them down, you know, at practice, that's not healthy for our relationship. Um, and I've gone I've gone back and forth multiple times with that of, you know, talking to my wife and talking to different people about, you know, how do we. How do we keep this to be positive for him? And, you know, realistically, my my thought on it is, is just as long as he knows that he's just like every other kid, he gets time to disconnect from his coach being there with him. That's the most important thing. And he's he's acclimated really well. But I, I enjoy not seeing him on the baseball field for about three and a half months a year playing <laughs> football with his teammates. Yeah. Uh, Dave, your thoughts. I love that. I, I think it's it's uh, the right idea. We I, you know, when I left the sideline, I didn't want to coach my kids in their team sports because of just that that reason. I wasn't sure how I would disconnect. I would work with them at home, train them at home, and let somebody else <clears throat> experience them and just get to be a dad. I didn't step back on into it until my kids asked me, and I cautioned them on that. I said you have to be careful what we wish for because we're going to have to work at this relationship. I love how you're doing it. Our rule is whether it's basketball or baseball, we have from the gym or the diamond to the car to, for me to still be coach. And once we get the, the stuff loaded in the car and we walk in, they can ask me anything. We can talk about anything on the way. But when we go in, we don't talk about baseball or basketball. We just get home. What's for dinner? What's, uh, you know, what are we doing with the, the, the family today? And uh, it's hard, Dan. It's really hard. Have there been, um, how do you handle moments when you want to continue that conversation with him when you get in the car? What, what's your... What's your way of just kind of stopping it? Uh, you know, my, my mechanism, that, by the way, which I'm working on every day still, <laughs> you know what I mean? Trying to get better at it. Uh, my mechanism is to really try to talk about what's going on in his life outside of baseball or football. You know, bring something else up, uh, discuss the school aspect of things. Um, and it's gotten easier now that Rocco is driving. You know, he's, he's of age to do that. So there's less and less of that time to where I have to, you know, figure out what to say, but you know, like, like anything else, baseball, you know, we're, we're game planning at home, you know? So a lot of my work is done at home as well, putting practice plans together, 
Um, that, 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 and I, I do that on my patio intentionally to separate myself from, from him. Uh, you know, I, I don't want him to always feel like, Hey, it's baseball time when dad's around, there's gotta be that family time as well. No, I, I, I love that, that concept with it. I, I, I handle geography the same way I sit out in our Carolina room and do even the podcast. I get out there so the kids don't hear baseball nonstop with that. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to test that now with it. Cause you were obviously a very successful scout and now you're coaching your son. Give us a brag, brag on him a little bit. What kind of baseball players you give us a, give us the vitals. Uh, you know, Rocco has a, a good ability to hit He's a quality hitter, uh, meaning understanding counts, understanding situations. Um, you know, there's the, I think that's part of him being around the game, you know, understanding, you know, what, what goals need to be accomplished at bat by at bat. And, um, you know, going into high school baseball, you, you know, we, we all know that, you know, in a high school baseball lineup, usually three, four, five are, are the guys you got to stay away from. And he's done a good job of, you know, being in that three, four, five part of the order and understanding he's going to get a lot of breaking balls and take the breaking balls when you need to. And, Hunt fastball. So uh, I think that most people that watch Rocco play, they, they, they see a kid that knows how to hit and that, uh, you know, can do damage, um, you know, when balls are left in the zone. Yeah. What position does he play? He's a third baseman. He's a corner guy, a bigger kid, you know, um, plays defensive line, offensive line. Uh, he, he probably profiles more down the line as a first baseman at the higher levels, in my opinion. But right now he's playing third for us. I like that. Joe, I'll pass it back to you. Yeah. Uh, Dan, take people through, uh, because your your path is, is an interesting one and a good one, uh, because you, high school ball, you became a scout, now back at the high school level at a very good program. Take people through that and, and talk a little bit about your, your year scouting with Seattle. Gotcha. Um, well, I played for Coach McQuaid, Pat McQuaid at Nova High School, who's just been inducted to uh, the National High School uh, Baseball Coaches Hall of Fame. Um, so I've had, you know, great people around me to teach me the game. Um, I went to Broward junior college out of, um, high school, which is right next to Nova high school. And I was fortunate enough to be, uh, recruited by Mike Silvestri. Uh, the interesting part of that is, is that my high school teammate, uh, was Michael Morse, uh, he was world series oh, yeah. MVP with the giants. Um, Over Mike I, in his one year with the Marlins. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, uh, Michael's still a good friend of mine, but, the, the gentleman that was recruiting him was there to see him, and I was playing third base. He was playing short, and that just shows you, you know, teaching kids in the game like you never know who's watching. Uh, that gentleman's Mike Silvestri. Mike is a international cross-checker uh, with the San Francisco Giants now. So from there, I went and I played at Lynn University for Rudy Garbalosa. Uh, my entrance into pro ball was with Mike Silvestri, working with the Angels and stuff like that. Uh, where, where's where he went after I was done. Uh, from there, uh, I ended up going into high school athletics uh, a bit, uh, worked as an administrator at a couple Catholic schools. And then um, Jesse Capellish, who is a cross-checker, um, he's a graduate, good friend of mine for the Seattle Mariners. He said, hey, there's an opportunity here. I interviewed it. Um, and then I ended up going into scouting with the Mariners where I covered, um, you know, Puerto Rico, part of the Dominican Republic at times, uh, Latin America, and all of South Florida. Uh, the Mariners uh, chose to utilize me maybe in a bit different of a way than some of their scouts. Uh, I was more of a hybrid guy where after the draft, 
um, because of my background in player development, uh, coaching, et cetera, I went down every year to the Dominican Republic and worked with our DSL team. Uh, basically, the onboarding process of kids, uh, you know, 15 years old, the international market's open. It's open before that. But, you know, once the kids turn 16 is when we can sign them, onboard them. Uh, got, I was fortunate enough to be around guys like Julio Rodriguez, uh, their first days as a Mariner. So when we're onboarding these kids, we're teaching them the process of, you know, whatever organization, you know, the hitting philosophy. I was part of that, uh, just being around the guys on the field. So I was, I had the best of both worlds, I felt like, where I could, you know, make an impact scouting, you know, obviously doing that stuff day to day. But once the draft happened, I got to go back out on the field, uh, you know, in the Dominican and stuff like that. And what a what an unbelievable experience it is to to work in those academies down there and see baseball really at the grassroots, um, you know, see how the academy starts at 6 a.m. during the morning and and their breakfast and games are at 10 a.m. And then after that, you know what their process is in the weight room in the academy, uh, not to mention that, you know, the these organizations are preparing kids obviously to come to America. So there's a classroom set setting in the academy, basic math, teaching them how to use the debit cards correctly, um, English classes to teach them how to be able to order food and, and stuff like that, because the academy is very, very much about baseball at the grassroots, but it's also very, very much about preparing these 16, 17 year old kids, mainly from the Dominican Republic to get ready to go to Arizona for for spring training or get ready to go to Florida in the Grapefruit, Grapefruit League. Uh, all teams, there's th there's 30 different academies, 30 different teams. I'm sure they all have a bit of a different way of doing it. But with that being said, it's all about preparing those athletes, those young kids to, you know, get ready for America. Yeah, this is really interesting stuff. And I hope our audience, especially those who aspire, you know, to, to find that everyone's path, it, it can be different and you never know where it'll lead you. And, you know, Dan led him to, to pro ball. And it's funny, you know, Dan, not that I'm anybody of any importance, but it was funny when I met you last year for the first time, you knew my son. You know, like you mentioned that, you know, my son will tell me, dad, I met someone else I asked about you, you know, cause he, you know, he, he meets all these people. Cause I was in the game for 20 years before he became a scout with Arizona. And I told Jacob, I'm like, Hey, I found someone who, who knew you already. And, uh, but that's just the fraternity and, and how the small world of baseball and how it intertwines and part of the love I have for the sport. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the guys like even knowing your son, knowing the area, knowing the players that are coming through this area. I think that for obvious reasons that we discussed earlier, scouting is starting, you know, earlier and earlier, getting your follow list together, knowing who the, you know, South Florida South Florida is different, obviously, than most areas in the country, meaning it's so condensed. Area scouts down here, you know, basically work from Melbourne, the middle of the state, down to Key West. And every single one of those guys covers Puerto Rico because it's part of the draft as well. That is a tiny area uh, in comparison to places in the middle of the country, the Midwest, where guys may be covering three, four states. Um, that just goes to show you the amount of quality players there are down here. Um, so, you know, when you talk about a tight knit community, obviously, you know, when you look at Dade Broward County, it's a heavy, heavy Latin influence um, in, in those particular areas where it's a very, very tight knit scouting group, to your point. And those guys all take care of each other. They look good. You know, they look out for each other as far as, 
travel and stuff like that. It's a it's a really interesting experience to work in that area of the game. Yeah, it's very fascinating. I enjoy doing it immensely. Dave, jump in. Yeah, I, I wanted to take you back to the Dominican Academy, uh, just for our parents in the audience. When you're working on developing these prospects or potential prospects to come to America, and even even taking a look at baseball in and around kids that aren't in the academy as they're influxing the talent in, how involved were the parents at these academies in terms of things like hanging around the facility, telling you where to bat their kid, talking to you after in between things? Um, what, what's the difference between the the individuals over there you're working with as opposed to how baseball is in the States? Well, I mean, there was no influence by the parents, to be honest with you. The, I mean, it's the acad- those kids are professional baseball players. Um, that's their job. That's the way you have to treat them while you're teaching them. So, you know, the kids live at the academies. There's the only time they really saw their parents was on Sundays. Sunday was the off day in the DSL. Um, you know, they could be coming from different parts of the Dominican. Uh, you know, depending on where your academy is and where, uh, you know, the kid is actually from, you know, those kids may not see their parents for three, four months at a time. These are 16 year old boys. Um, the, so when it's a different lifestyle and that's where I, I think that what we're seeing now, uh, even right now, present day, I saw uh, an organization, they're taking their American kids in the fall and sending them over to the D, to the Dominican. Uh, so they can understand the experience that's going on over there for a couple weeks. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, let's call it a baseball field trip, but it's getting it's getting the American kids to understand the obstacles that the Dominican guys are doing just to get to this country. I mean, I think that the number is usually around 70 to 80 percent of the kids that we signed in the Dominican that never even make it to Arizona. They never even make it because they're released before then. The DSL essentially is is casting a wide net uh, for players. You're obviously going to have your high-end guys in the international market, whoever those players are, but you're going to have fillers. Like every team needs fillers. The minor leagues are full of fillers. You have three, four prospects on a team. You have 20, 22 guys that are simply there to facilitate the games. So the, the Dominican is about just as much teaching life lessons and life skills for these kids that maybe would never be educated uh, to go back into the real world, into their country. Yeah. And these, and of course they face disadvantages over there. Do those disadvantages give them advantages over the kids in the States once they get here? hundred percent. I mean, the, the, you know, the old saying is you got to hit to get off the Island. That's the bottom line. You know, if you don't hit, you're staying on that Island to where our kids are, are, you know, in this country in particular, we're worried about, you know, what type of bat bag they have to be honest with you, or, you know, the new pair of cleats, what, what type of trouts they're getting. So, you know, it's, it's just, it's different perspective. It's not, it's not that our kids are any worse off per se, but I would find it hard to imagine that most American kids have the same hunger and the desires, the kids coming out of those academies. And, yeah, and you know, the, the academy is, it's so interesting. Um, I, I tell you a great story. We signed a guy from uh, Brazil when I was there, he was a Brazilian guy and we had to wait for major league baseball to clear him for his signing and took a couple days, whatever. Well, I was coaching first base in the first game that he ever played. And first pitch fastball, a young man hit a ball into the right center gap. This is this is going to show you just how grassroots it is. And the young man ran through the bag at first base. 
And I said to him, I said, well, why didn't you take a turn? Why didn't you try to, you know, turn that ball into a double? And he said, uh, I didn't know I could do that. He had never played in a game before, ever. Oh, wow. And I think you see this uh, more often. I mean, it's it's really kids teaching kids bunt coverages. You know, there's so much going on, how to base run. So, you know what we did the next day in the early work? We did base running. But teach that young man how to take leads and stuff like that. These kids overseas are mainly being trained to be signed. They're showcase guys. Show off your arm, show off your power, uh, show off your run tool. You know, they ne- they rarely, rarely ever are playing in game settings. They're playing only in showcase setting where the scout can see his arm strength, the scout can see his power, the scout can see his fastball, the scout can see how fast he runs. Those are what get kids signed, period. The, the philosophy behind that is they, the rest can be taught. A hundred percent. They're not worried about they're not worried about getting taught till the major league organization teaches them how to base run, how to you know cover bags, hold runners. And I, we joked around scouting wise many times because I would scout a little bit in the DSL or write up other prospects, you know, guys that we we're playing against maybe for trades. Uh, if I saw something I liked, I'd you know send a report in on it, but. The, watching the DSL is like watching JV baseball with professional tools. That's, yeah. that's honest. <laughs> that's, that's makes wow. me feel better about our guys running the bases. <laughs> yeah. You could, you could have a guy in the DSL throwing 96 miles an hour at 16 years old with 20 command, 20 is poor uh, balls going to the backstop. And the next guy coming in the game could be 77 miles an hour. Cause he's a roster filler. Yeah. It's just the way that it is. Dan, you got any early uh, Julio Rodriguez stories for people? Yeah, I mean, it, clear, clearly Julio, you could, I mean, from a physical perspective and ability perspective, there, there was, it wasn't hard to figure out that he was different. I mean, yeah. you don't need to be a scout to figure that out when you're walking around him. What was different to me about Julio was it seemed like he was extremely polished. Um in, in aspects outside of baseball, he was a fluent English speaker, which is very, very rare. Um, he communicated great outside of, you know, just the ability to speak, but he communicated on things that he wanted to work at, uh, things that he he thought his area could improve upon. And I remember one of my first days down there meeting Julio um, I was up early, and and like I said, the Dominican starts at 6 a.m., I mean sharp. And I was up early, and uh, I'm an early riser. It's about 5, 5.15, and I was going out, and I could hear balls being batted off the tee. And I walked out to where the cages were. It's, it's pretty black, but there was, you know, dark, but there's obviously lights in the cage. What I came to find out is Julio worked on his own every day at about 5 a.m., and that's an innate process in that kid's mind that he was different and he's clearly different right now. Uh, but the work ethic, the, the makeup was always off the charts. The, the guys that signed Julio in the international market, they, you know, they did their homework. They got a special, special player. Well, yeah, really good. Really, really good stuff. Yeah. How much can you, obviously everyone, we all use our life lessons to, to help where we are in this stage of our, our lives and our careers. How much of uh, what you saw in the DR and the pro ranks and so forth um, 
has molded you as a coach right now, you know, as you're, you're back at U school? Uh, you know, I, I think that, I think that teaching amateur players obviously is, is much different than, than working with professional players. And, um, one thing that no matter when you're, no matter whether you're in Fort Lauderdale coaching a high school team, like I am right now, or you're in the Dominican teaching grassroots is don't take, don't take the player for granted. And what I say is don't assume that the player knows how to round the bag at first base, how to vary his looks holding runners, uh, how to execute, you know, working backside. And I think the most important thing is, is that we've gotten away from playing catch, you know, like the little things that are supposed to be taught. I mean, you talk to most high school coaches, um, you talk to even professional scouts that are evaluating the first thing they're doing after they assess the body and, and, and the speed and the athleticism is watching a guy catch and throw. If a kid can't catch and throw, he can't be a professional prospect. If a kid can't catch and throw, he can't be a high school baseball player. It's identical. It doesn't matter what level you're at. So my point is, is that when we're, we're not teaching the game anymore, we're teaching, you know, how to, how to do all the things that they see on TV. We've definitely missed out um, in this era of, you know, the grassroots and, and that stuff still does go on in the academies down there because the kids have such big tools, maybe better tools than what we have in this country um, in some aspects, but they also are teaching it down there, uh, at a, at a different, at a higher rate than we are. So, you know, it's funny cause you probably see it too, but I, you know, cause I've seen a lot of youth ball play from watching my son and whenever I get a chance to go out to the fields and I'll, I'll see these kids play and 90% of the time I can tell who's going to win the game just by how they play catch before the game. The team that could actually know how to play catch as a team, you could tell they look like the more polished team. And like I said, about 90% of the time that team wins the game. Uh, I think that's a fair assessment. And and also how they wear their uniform, right? Kids yeah, look yeah, good, you know? they, look, they look the part. Do yeah. they carry themselves? And, and not just look the part, but on the field carry themselves like yeah. they know the part, you know? Yeah. And, and you know, in, in it's so it's so interesting to talk to parents about, you know, parents don't don't know about tools, but uh, most of the time and the five tools in the game. And, and that's what every scout judges on. doesn't matter if that, that man's a recruiting coordinator for a Division II school or an area scout for a Major League Baseball team. They're, they're trying to find tools that work at their level. But it is, it is the responsibility of the area scout in scouting to, to know the makeup of, of kids and families and, and all that stuff and, and see how the kid gets off the bus. And is he wearing slides or is he in his turfs or is the, you, you know, how does he look? How does he handle himself? Because if he can't handle himself in high school baseball, what thinks, what, why would we think that we're going to pick him up and send him to Arizona and him be ready for, for rookie ball on his own without parents? Uh, I, I just think that, you know, there's so much, you know, if, if mom's bringing him, uh, you know, a Gatorade in the third inning, it's, it's a really, really bad look. And that look doesn't just go for professional baseball. That look goes for, you know, guys that are running college programs and stuff like that. Good stuff. Um, we're getting kind of pressed for time because, you know, Dan's at school doing this. Grateful, you know, thankfully he's doing this. Uh, Dave, you got any final questions? 
Yeah, I've got so many for Dan. We need to have him back right now because I, I think his his uh, his scope of baseball is just so unique. He's been at every level, and uh, even the dad perspective is phenomenal. I've got a, an MLB question for you, if it's okay. It's a it's a market question. It's concerning me, and I see you you brought it up earlier, which is why I want to ask it. You see this the uh, travel baseball or tournament baseball or showcase baseball kind of dominating our kids' worlds now at the at the younger levels. It's creating these two inning pitchers where they throw two innings on Friday, two Saturday, two Sunday, and it's a max velocity world. It's, it's almost mm-hmm. like a cult right now. Um, our, my question is about the, the, the people that are buying into this stuff. Are we adjusting the market? Are pitchers adjusting the market or is it intentionally being done? And I look at the running backs in the NFL. Running backs used to be the world. Now they've become, I don't want to say obsolete, but a dime a dozen. And the market now pays running backs like they're a dime a dozen where they used to be paid tremendous money. Are pitchers going down the same route, same avenue? Uh, I think to some extent there are. Um, I also think that, you know, listen, with analytics was talked, data, research, all that stuff. That's part of the issue getting back to our first initial five minutes of this is that Look at where the arms are coming from. The arms are coming from, we're talking about American arms, mainly from cold weather states, guys. And it's not hard to figure out. You know why? They're not being used and abused 12 months a year like kids are in warm weather states. Now, you're going to have your, your, you know, there's guys that are taken out of South Florida every year, Florida in general, but very few high school guys are taken. Very, very few. Uh, they're coming from the college ranks because what do starters do? Starting pitchers, they stay in the game. And to your point, these two inning guys, what perfect game is posting, you know, touch 92, 93. In, in scouting, every single scout is, well, what did he pitch at? What's his comfort zone? You know, if he was 80, 84 to 92, what's the average velocity? How much did the velocity drop from inning one to inning two? The 92 doesn't matter. It matters what he's pitching at comfortably. It matters what he's throwing strikes at comfortably. Uh, I can't think of a single major league team that would draft what they, what they, in their opinion, is a high school reliever. Nobody's going to draft a high school reliever. They're going to draft guys that they think have chances to start with good deliveries, good athleticism, the ability to hold velocity, and the ability to throw two or more pitches for strikes consistently. Um, that's really, really hard to find. I'm pretty positive high school right-handed pitching is the worst demographic in the draft uh, as far as making it to the big leagues. That's why you're seeing this push on college pitchers, guys that have held up over, you know, 15, 16 starts a year in the SEC, ACC, Pac-12, whatever it is, you're seeing less of this two-inning stuff being actually, you know, taken seriously. Because anybody can go to Jupiter last week and see a guy rolling out, you know, 89 to 95 in his one, two inning stint. People are going to go back in the spring to wherever high school he is, and they're going to see if he can actually hold that velo for four or five innings. And if he can't, that guy goes to college and gets stronger and develops usually. Yeah, I like that answer. Thank you. Yeah, this is uh, really good stuff. And uh um, we could talk all day with with Dan Rivetto at U School. Um, Dan, you know, tell people when when you're when football ends, you know, real quick, what you're going to be doing with your guys before you get, you know, as you get them and get high school ball going over at U School. 
Uh, I think first thing is give them a few days to let their bodies recover. You know, as I mentioned, they're doing really well, these kids. Um, I'm hopeful that they're playing until uh, November 11th, which will be the state championship down here. Uh, that's the goal for the kids. Uh, if that's the case, then, you know, we'll take the kids off the field. We'll definitely give them a few days to get rested, and then we'll start in our small group settings of, you know, working their bodies back into shape. Um, they will start throwing here, just tossing a couple days a week. Uh, you know, on the turf field uh, so we can get their arms acclimated again. Uh, but the process will definitely be, you know, go all the way up until winter break of small individualized group work, uh, minimal to very, very few game settings. Uh, get them back in January uh, at 100% health, um, you know, weight room wise, obviously arm care wise, and get ready for them to play. Because, you know, the one thing I've learned as both a high school coach and as a parent uh, – in this aspect is once we start playing, I'm usually not driving back uh, from Fort Myers until about July 28th. Uh, that's just the way it goes. And, you know, what the interesting part is after July 28th, guess what, guess what happens? High school football starts August 1st. So, you know, so it's like a, this, this cycle of, of athleticism and, and stuff to keep these kids busy. But, you know, realistically, they're only playing baseball, uh, ideally from January, uh, you know, game setting wise till the end of July. And that's very much like a pro season where they're taking the fall off to, to, you know, develop other skill sets, uh, athleticisms. Well, this is some really, really good stuff. And, and anybody that, you know, plays high school ball around the country and they kind of can see why here in South Florida, we, we have so many good, you know, players come out of here. Because of you know people like Dan Rivetto who does a remarkable job at Nova Southeastern University Youth School High School. Um, Dave, uh, final announcements or anything before we get out of here? I'll do it real quick, but Dan, thank you so much. Great interview, Joe. Awesome job as usual. Our audience, you got a treat today again. Fifty-three thousand subscribers, seventy-four countries. Make sure you support this show. All you got to do is give five stars and write a nice comment under there for Joe. If you need to ask questions, keep pumping them in. We get almost seven hundred a day on our direct messaging through social media. I try to get back to everybody, answer one thing online. The, the silly question today, Joe, they wanted to know what I'm going to be watching for the Halloween holiday there. So I told them The Great Pumpkin is my favorite Halloween show. You so can't go wrong. Can't no go politics, wrong. no religion, and I don't talk about The Great Pumpkin. That's my three <laughs> rules of life here. But uh, thanks so much. Make sure you catch us on iHeartRadio. Let them, let them know that they made the right choice with the podcast network here. And Joe, back to you to close us out. Yeah, Dan, thanks again, buddy. Hope to have you on at some point in the near future. Thanks for joining us. Awesome, guys. My pleasure. I hope you all have a good day. Yeah. Uh, again, that's Dan Rovetto, coach at youth school down here in South Florida. Can't wait to get uh, playing baseball. But in the meantime, uh, good luck to the Sharks on the football field as well. Um, again, thanks to uh, uh, Dave D'Agostino for a remarkable job uh, producing, co-hosting as always. Thanks to all you guys listening out there. Uh, we're going to keep bringing uh, this very diversified amount of content we bring in high schools the pros we we cover it all here at the channel and it's only getting bigger and better and uh with that i'm joe for man on second and we are out of here